Cable news, noisy, boring, out of touch. That's why Salem News Channel is different. We keep you in the know. Streaming 24-7 for free. Home to the greatest collection of conservative voices like Dennis Prager, Jay Sekulow, Mike Gallagher, and more. Salem News Channel is unfiltered and unapologetic. Watch anytime, on any screen, at snc.tv and local now, channel 525. You're listening to the Pastor Scott Show podcast. Have any questions or comments? Email Pastor Scott now at pastorscott at kkla.com or tune in live weekdays from 3 to 5 p.m. And now, here's Pastor Scott. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to the Pastor Scott Show. Great to be with you today. And I want to thank you for the last couple of days and uh, everything you did to provide Bibles for people in Asia. Really appreciate that. You can still do it. Just go to kkla.com or kprz.com, your radio station website. You know, a a couple of weeks ago now, the Supreme Court ruled in a case called 303 Creative, and it was about a Christian website designer and whether or not she can be compelled by the state to create a website that goes against her beliefs. In this case, uh, should a Christian website designer have to create a website that endorses a uh, gay marriage, uh, gay wedding? And uh, she won the case. This is Her name is Lori Wilson. This is her response after the case. From day one, all I've wanted is to speak consistent with my beliefs, and I want that for everyone. I want that for the LGBT website designer, the Democrat speechwriter, the Jewish calligrapher, the pro-life photographer, everyone should be free to speak consistent with who they are and what they believe. And I'm grateful for the court for affirming that the government can't force anyone to say something they don't believe. Today is truly a victory for each and every one of us. Compelled speech is something that is a a growing concern in a whole lot of different areas. This case maintained that a website designer cannot be compelled to make a website that goes against his or her beliefs. And the response by some people afterward is to say, well, that means she can discriminate against anybody for any reason. If I don't like your race or I don't like your religion or your orientation, then I don't even have to work with you for anything and not even her, but any business. And that's not at all what is decided here. And I thought it'd be a good idea for us to have all this explained to us so we can better understand it. Here to help us understand this is an attorney who worked on the 303 Creative case with Alliance Defending Freedom, Jake Warner. Jake, welcome to the Pastor Scott Show. Thanks for having me on the show today. Hey, it's great to have you on. Thank you for being with us. Explain this case to us. Explain what was brought to the court and uh, what the importance of it has been. Well, about seven years ago, Lori Smith, who uh, is a Denver area graphic designer who owns 303 Creative, uh, she wanted to expand her business and start creating custom websites celebrating God's design for marriage. But when she looked around, she saw that her state was prosecuting artists like her. And you probably know about the story of Jack Phillips, uh, owner of Masterpiece Cake Shop. That's right. Starting back in 2012, the state of Colorado tried to prosecute Jack for declining to create custom cakes, promoting messages uh, inconsistent with his religious beliefs. Uh, And the state prosecuted him all the way up to the U.S. Supreme Court, where he secured a seven to two victory back in 2018. Well, Lori saw all this happening in her state and she wondered, could this happen to me? And uh, so she called us here at ADF and and wanted to know her her rights. And, And we informed her, you're at risk. Uh, and there's some tough choices that you that you have to make. Uh, you can violate your beliefs, you can curb your business, or you can challenge this unjust law. 
So she decided to do a good thing, uh, to challenge this unjust law. And uh, by God's grace, uh, the case all the way, the case went all the way up to the U.S. Supreme Court, where just a few weeks ago, the U.S. Supreme Court held that uh, the government can't force anyone to promote messages that go against their deepest beliefs. Free speech is for everyone. And this is a win for all Americans. I think that's something that in all of the, uh, you know, the fiery response that you see on social media and everywhere else, that it's not uh, being presented as an as free speech for everyone. And I think that's something that uh, we should clarify. You know, something that when we think about the the cake baker case, Jack Phillips case, part of that case was that the court found that the state government, if I recall, was hostile towards him, right? That it was hostile towards his beliefs. Am I right about that? Yeah, that's right. If you think back to the opinion in 2018, the U.S. Supreme Court said that Colorado had violated Jack's right to freely exercise his faith. And that was premised on on two things. Uh, during his case, Colorado officials had compared him and his faith to that of Nazis and, and slaveholders. It was just right. despicable. Uh, but more than that, uh, the court noted that Colorado treated him worse than other cake artist. Uh, during his first case, a religious man went to three secular cake artists requesting custom cakes criticizing same-sex marriage. Um, and when those cake artists declined, he filed a discrimination complaint. But instead of prosecuting those cake artists like they did Jack, the state said, look, you have the freedom to decline to promote messages like that if they offend your beliefs. So they treated uh, those cake artists differently from Jack. And for those reasons, the court didn't even need to uh, the Supreme Court didn't even need to address the question uh, whether government could force someone to promote messages inconsistent with their beliefs. Yeah. Uh, and that's why we had 303 Creative go up to the court uh, just uh, this past year. And so in this case, the 303 Creative case allowed the court to actually address that question that really didn't get addressed in the uh, Cake Baker case, the Jack Phillips case. Is that right? Yeah, that's exactly right. That case, uh, the 303 Creative answered, can the government force artists to say things that they don't believe? And of course, the U.S. Supreme Court answered that, no, government doesn't have that power. Free speech is for everyone. Everyone should be free to say what they believe without fear of government punishment. And uh, it's important to note that this is, like I said earlier, it's a win for all Americans. It doesn't matter if you agree with Lori's view of marriage or, or Jack's view uh, of marriage. Uh, what matters is that um, the government can't force you to say something you don't believe. So uh, if you're an, a website designer who identifies as LGBT, the government can't force you to create custom websites criticizing a view of marriage that you hold dear. Uh, so in this way, it doesn't matter what you believe. Uh, a win for Lori Smith and 303 Creative is a win for, for all of us, a win for free, for free speech. You're listening to the Pastor Scott Show. My guest is Jake Warner. He's with Alliance Defending Freedom, and he worked on the 303 Creative case that was uh, won at the Supreme Court uh, a couple of weeks ago. Jake, you know, in this issue, I think in the just with regular people responding to this, and a lot of it's deliberate political spin, but I think some of it is confusion. What do you say when somebody says, well, this case opens up the door to go back to racial discrimination or discrimination based on uh, multiple, you know, it can be race, it can be religion or sexual orientation in my restaurant takes us back to Jim Crow. It opens the door to that. What's the answer to that? That's absolutely false. I mean, that, that's really despicable to think about, to be quite frank. 
And uh, in the 303 creative decision, the U.S. Supreme Court said, uh, look, states can continue to apply their public accommodation laws to uh, regulate uh, these kinds of uh, discrimination that have plagued our nation's history. But what the court said is that, look, you can't misuse these laws to compel speech, especially speech that the government disagrees with. So the, the court drew a very fine line there. It says, look, if you're speaking, the government can't control or compel your speech. Uh, but past speech, the, the, the decision is not going to speak to that. Yeah. When we think about that, so we are talking about an artist and their speech, meaning that that it's not just something they say with their mouth, but something they would create with their hands, you know, or something that would go part of, you know, their their work. So a cake or a website and I would say that, you know, through this, if you are, you know, have different political beliefs, if somebody comes to you and says, I want you to create me a cake that says, uh, you know, stop the steal and we're going to have an anti-Donald Trump party at my house or something, you shouldn't have to make that cake. Would that be correct? Yeah, of course. Uh, this decision extends to protect anyone who is engaged in speech. The question is going to be, are you being uh, asked to promote a message? Uh, if you disagree with that message, the government can't punish you for declining to say it. And, and like you said, it doesn't matter what your view is. Uh, this uh, ruling, it protects all Americans. Uh, no one should be forced to say things that they don't believe. You know, is there, a, is there a line? Like at what point is what I'm doing in my work uh, not really speech anymore? You know, where do you think? And maybe I'm sure you guys have thought about this, but, you know, at what point is – and maybe that's just anything you do, but what point is your your work not really artistry, it's just service? You know what I'm saying? You know, How do we explain yeah. that the best way? Yeah, the courts have a test for that, and basically it asks two questions. Uh, are you intending to express a message, and are you object objectively expressing a message? And the court can look at a host of factors, including contextual factors, to discern whether the item expresses a message. So courts are well-equipped to answer this question. It's not uh, a hard one. It's not one that is novel for the courts. It's one that we wrestle with uh, the entire history of our country. So um, at bottom, it's uh, are you expressing a message? And that's what speech is. Yeah. OK. So it's not about the who. It's about the what. Yep. Always. Uh, yeah. Uh, people like Lori Smith, Jack Phillips, they serve everyone, no matter who they are. Uh, they just can't express every message through their custom expression. When we look forward uh, into what's coming next, you know, what would you say is coming next? What's the the battle here? There seems to be the idea of the government compelling speech uh, when it comes to uh, pronouns or when it comes to things that we're seeing in social media and whether or not the government got too involved with um, censorship and things like that. What are some things that you think people should be aware of as far as their their freedoms and their their First Amendment rights? Well, what's clear from the 303 creative decision is that the government has no business trying to suppress speech that it disagrees with. Uh, that includes trying to co coerce people to um, use pronouns that are inconsistent with uh, with their beliefs. And it's going to extend to a host of other issues that courts are wrestling with right now. Mm. Uh, the bottom line principle in 303 Creative is that the government has no power to force anyone to say things that they don't believe. And we'll see that uh, played out in different contexts. And that's a pretty simple way to, you know, for our listeners to be able to understand that, that the government doesn't have the right to compel you to say something you don't believe. And that's really right what on. this case is about. 
you know, if I'm an employer, I'm running a small business, or I just work somewhere, and I'm listening to this, what kinds of things should I, as a Christian person now, which kinds of things should I be aware of that are my rights that, you know, maybe I'm worried about? Is there something coming down the line that, as an employer, there's another case pending that I should be watching? Well, certainly a lot of cases are going to come up, cases involving pronouns, cases involving uh, a myriad of issues. But what's clear from the 303 creative decision is that that the government doesn't have the power to force you to say things that uh, you don't believe. And that's especially true when you're asked to speak out on controversial topics, whether that be marriage, gender, or anything else. Uh, The First Amendment protects your right. Yeah, it does. All right. You know, uh, you guys at uh, ADF do a great job as a pastor. Uh, we used you on a few different cases. In fact, ADF uh, worked with our church for free one time on something that was funny because they said they said to me, I can't get into what it was, but uh, maybe you'll enjoy this. But they said that if you were in any other state, we would tell you not to worry about it. But because we're in California, we think this is deliberate. And uh, we live in a very strange state out here in uh, in California as far as where that's going. So um, I'm a, a fan of ADF. And uh, how do people get in touch with Alliance Defending Freedom uh, if they'd like to do that? Yeah, your listeners can go to our website, adflegal.org, and there they can learn about the cases we litigate, the people we represent. And they'll also find out that Alliance Defending Freedom represents all of our clients for free. We depend wholly on the financial support of people who care about our mission. And I imagine many of those people are listening to your show right now. Yeah, I think they are. Well, thank you for what you do. And Jake, thank you for being a part of the Pastor Scott show today. Thanks for having me. Yeah, thank you for explaining that case, and thank you for all of that. This is the Pastor Scott Show. I am Pastor Scott, and my guest has been Jake Warner. He is with Alliance Defending Freedom. He worked on the 303 Creative Case, uh, an important case because of what it says about our religious freedom and really anybody's freedom of speech. It's really about freedom of speech, First Amendment rights. And uh, if you want to give us a call, the number is 888-528-2557, 888-528-2557. Jake, thanks for being with me today. Thanks for having me. All right. 888-528-2557, 888-528-2557. It is great to have groups like ADF because there are there are things that are being done. I, I'm trying to think what I can actually say, and I'm no longer at that church, you know, so it's uh, – but the there was an administrative thing that they said that would be – an administrative error is what they would have said in every other state. But in California, they said it's deliberate. And the reason was is they felt like that there are people who are trying to separate um, churches. Churches all have a right to uh, hire people or to express belief that might be contrary to something you couldn't do in a regular business, right? So if I'm a working at a a church, I can hire people who are Christians. I should be allowed to hire people and ask them about their faith and ask people what they believe and not just, are you a Christian or not, but also, do you believe uh, in our statement of faith and the, the beliefs that we actually have? And, you know, that's a right that any church or any religious, uh, you know, religion should have, right? If you're an imam and you're hiring people at the mosque, you should be able to say, hey, uh, you know, or ask somebody about their faith. You shouldn't be forced to hire employees who are going to teach something contrary to what you believe. And uh, we had a situation where they tried to separate something from uh, the preschool and the church. Our church had a preschool. And a lot of churches, your church might have a preschool or you've got a grade school maybe or high school that your church is a part of. There is a movement that is pretty significant here 
here in California to separate the workings of that preschool or school or other organization that maybe your church runs from the freedoms that you have in the church, meaning that you know, as a as a church that hired preschool teachers, I could ask them, hey, do you believe in Jesus? Part of your job is you're going to explain the gospel to these kids, and you're going to talk about creation, and you're going to talk about a whole lot of other things. And, you know, what is very, I think, interesting is the state, there are people who want to say, no, it's not a church, it's a school, and they want to separate the two. And what that would do is turn the preschool, the church-run preschool, into a regular company. Because you and your regular company, you can't ask people about their religious preferences or their religious beliefs. You can't get into that kind of thing, even their political beliefs or some other belief system. You you can't get into that for the most part. And there is a deliberate movement to separate Christian schools from the churches that operate them. And that's an important thing. Because if you're, you know, one of the purposes of having a Christian school at your church is that you want to take the time to help parents and help the community um, by teaching Jesus, right? You're going to teach the gospel to the kids. And not every kid who came to our school was a Christian, but we would say to the parents, hey, they're going to get Bible. They're going to learn about the Bible in each and everything. We had a rule that was the, the preschool needed to, number one, be an actual ministry, meaning it actually had to present the gospel. It couldn't just be one you say it's Christian, but you wouldn't be able to tell otherwise. Um, but it also needed to be a good preschool, right? It needed to be an actual ministry to the neighborhood, an actual safe place for the kids and a place where kids are getting prepared for kindergarten and do all that. And then it made it a good ministry. It had to be able to function properly. We were surprised. And uh, you know what was interesting? I know I'm being vague, and it's but we actually lost all of our, our uh, uh, approaches in court. And we came to the place that we were going to have to do what the government wanted us to do, but they couldn't do it because what they were asking us to do was unconstitutional on its face, actually. And so the interesting thing was, is we lost, but we won. We, we, we lost, but there was not actually even a way to comply because it was so unconstitutional. Uh, that's how crazy California is. We're going to talk about that later on in the the program with what's happening in Sacramento today uh, in some different areas. This is the Pastor Scott Show. The number is 888-528-2557, 888-528-2557. Have you ever been in a situation where your religious freedom was challenged, where you thought that, hey, uh, I no longer have the right to express my beliefs uh, about something, or where you feel like it's going to to hurt you in a in a job or hurt your chances for promotion. The interesting thing is, is it shouldn't. It's illegal, but you can't always prove that, right? You can't prove that, and sometimes you can prove it. That's why uh, that we have cases like this. But sometimes you cannot prove that you're being discriminated against, and sometimes you're really not being discriminated against. To be honest, right? Is uh, I had a uh, church event one time where. People were asking for prayer. It was kind of one of those situations. A large room of people, though. And somebody asked for prayer because she felt like she was being discriminated against at her workplace because of her faith. You know, and everybody kind of leaned in, okay, what's this about? And as she started to explain how her boss is not a Christian and her boss doesn't like Christians and she knows this for this and that, and she kind of described him as a guy who doesn't really like Christians. But the interesting thing is I said, well, what what is your boss doing to you? And what she said is, I'm not allowed to leave early on Friday. He makes us stay. He makes me stay until 5 p.m. on Friday because that's my hours. And uh, I should be able to leave at 2 if I'm all done with my work. 
And I remember that everyone's leaning in and then they kind of lean back and they're like, huh, well, what do you mean? And it turned out she just felt like, hey, I should be able to go to the beach or do something with my friends. And uh, my boss isn't letting me go till five because I'm supposed to work till five. And I said, well, have you asked your boss about this? And he, she said, yes. And I said, well, have you said, can I go early? And she said, yeah, I asked him. But he says, we can't go early, that we're on the clock till five o'clock. I said, is it possible you would have more work to do in that, you know, those last couple hours of the day if something were to come up? She said, yeah. And I had to say, I don't think it's discrimination. I don't think you're being discriminated against here. I think that employers have a right to hold you to the hours that you've been asked to serve. You know, so you got to be careful. You know, sometimes I think, you know, we are in a culture that is so eager to say I'm being discriminated against or that somebody is doing something illegal to me that we take it too far. Uh, so don't do that. But, you know, make sure that you know what your rights are. Make sure that you realize that, you know what, as a Christian, you kind of have to decide at some point, too, Am I going to do what God wants, or am I just going to do what the culture would require of me, where the culture would require me to keep my mouth shut? But maybe God wants me to pray with that employee who's had a really hard day. Maybe God does want me to uh, stand up for something that I know is wrong in the workplace, even if it goes against what the boss wants me to do. Maybe I'm going to be asked to do something that goes against my faith, such as I'm going to have to make a website that goes against my beliefs. I'm going to have to do something that goes against my beliefs. We have to be realized that our rights are that we don't have to do that, that um, there is freedom to not be compelled to go against our freedom. There's a difference between a private company and the government for sure, but uh, still, we have that right. But I think also as Christians, we should be aware that there might be a time when we're going to take loss. We're going to lose our income or we're going to lose our job. We're going to lose something um, because we've decided to stand up for Jesus. That's just part of things. Anyway, right now, though, the courts are voting in favor of free speech, and that is for everybody, and I think that is a really good thing. You're listening to The Pastor Scott Show. Uh, When we come back, we'll get into the news a little bit and uh, talk about some other um, religious freedom items. The number is 888-528-2557, 888-528-2557. Pastor Scott Show will be back as the Thursday edition continues. Stay tuned. You're listening to the Pastor Scott Show podcast. Have any questions or comments? Email Pastor Scott now at pastorscott at kkla.com or tune in live weekdays from 3 to 5 p.m. Now, back to the show. Now the Secret Service is confirming that the bag of cocaine was found in a vestibule outside the West Wing, where staff go in and out and tour groups gather to drop their phones and other belongings before entering. We're also learning that lab testing on the bag found no fingerprints and no DNA evidence. A review of surveillance footage did not identify a suspect. The investigation ended with no leads. The Secret Service says, quote, Without physical evidence, the investigation will not be able to single out a person of interest from the hundreds of individuals who passed through the vestibule where the cocaine was discovered. At this time, the Secret Service's investigation is closed due to a lack of physical evidence. That is the report and the official story about the uh, bag of cocaine that was found in the White House uh, during the 4th of July holiday. Do you believe that? 
<laughs> are you are you buying that? It's the number is 888-528-2557. 888-528-2557. So if you you didn't hear that news, I don't I, I don't know. It's just such a weird thing. But people, somebody dropped a little bag of cocaine in the White House, and it's in the West Wing. So when they say that it's uh, tourists, you know, heavily trafficked and touristy, you have to understand what that means. It's not the regular tourist way of going through the White House. You don't get to go in the West Wing unless you know somebody and you have a personalized tour, someone who will take you in there. And you're that's usually a family member of somebody who works in the West Wing or it's somebody who uh, you can write your congressman and maybe they can get somebody who will let you in there. There's You've you got to know somebody, right? Otherwise, everybody else goes through the regular part of the White House. You go through the East Wing, actually, and there's drug-sniffing dogs. There's multiple metal detectors. You're standing in line for a long time. It's quite a process, as you can imagine it ought to be. So when they discover cocaine in the White House, that's surprising, or at least it ought to be. Maybe nothing is surprising these days. Uh, But the Secret Service is now saying that they don't know who it is and they close the investigation saying we're not going to figure out who it is because there's no evidence, meaning that we didn't find fingerprints, we didn't find DNA, we didn't find anything on cameras and there's 500 people who it could be. So I guess we're done. Do you believe that? Uh, I'm highly skeptical or at least what I think is they know who it is or they've got a pretty good idea but maybe they can't prove it. You know what I mean? That sometimes you know, but you can't prove it. Sometimes you know something and you're wrong, but sometimes you know something and uh, you can't prove it. I find that hard to believe, though, that the Secret Service doesn't. But, you know, uh, Kaylee McEnany, who was a Trump spokesperson during the Trump administration, is now on Fox News. Here's how she described what was happening there. Yeah, you know, hundreds of suspects. That makes sense because we now know that it was the West Wing executive entrance there. There are not cameras in the West Wing. There are, however, cameras on the outside. So they would be able to narrow it down to who's walking in and out. But over a multi-day period, that is hundreds of people. Um, You can't nail it down just with camera footage, although I wish you could. I'm surprised to hear that there's not cameras inside the building in the West Wing. So there's cameras outside, so they should be able to know exactly who's coming in and out based on the video. And, you know, hopefully there's some kind of log of who's doing that. You can't just stroll into the West Wing of the White House, or can you? Apparently you can bring your Coke in. Um, But there's no cameras in there, so they can't see somebody dropping it. They can't see exactly – this is what Kaylee McEnany is suggesting – I'm really surprised that there's no cameras. Where do you go where there's no cameras? I mean, there's, it seems like, you can, you know, everybody's got a camera on their doorbell, right? Everything that happens, somebody, it seems like today, has a video of it. Anyway, the big issue really is probably not the cocaine as much as what else could have been snuck in then. Or have we just communicated to people who would like to do us harm that uh, you could sneak in you know, some anthrax or something else that's, you know, powdery into the White House. 888-528-2557 is the number. 888-528-2557 is the number. Do you believe this? Uh, You know, I've also heard people, in fact, Kaylee McEnany says she doesn't think it's Hunter Biden. So he's been living at the White House, apparently. And they're saying that he wasn't actually there on that day. Uh, And that could be true. But if that's true, if it's not him... That means it's somebody else, right? That there's somebody who is working in the most important office building, you know, probably the West Wing, most important office building in the country, you know, other than 
I don't know if there's another then. The Pentagon would be, you know, my next thought there. But uh, the West Wing of the the White House, where the president works, is really ought to be a lot more secure than that. And we're communicating that that somehow it's not, that somehow people were able to get drugs in there. I don't know. 888-528-2557, 888-528-2557. I one time found a Secret Service badge. I found it in a parking lot. I was walking through a parking lot, and there's this wallet sitting there, and the, so I pick it up, and I open it up, and sure enough, it's Secret Service, and it's got the person's ID in it. It's got the badge, a little metal badge in there. And so I took it with me. I looked around to see if anybody's looking around or if anybody had some dark sunglasses on or whatever. Nobody seemed like they were Secret Service. So I kept it, and I went home, and I called the Secret Service, which you can do. There's a phone number. There's a local branch somewhere. And um, I called the Secret Service, and they had me take the badge out of the wallet, and I can, there was a number you know, etched into the back of it, and they confirmed that it was real. And I, of course, had that person's credentials, their ID, and all that was real. And they asked me if I would bring it back, which I got, thought was kind of curious that uh, they wouldn't send somebody to me. And I said, yeah, I'll bring it back. And they gave me an address. And the address where I went to was a uh, IRS building, which makes sense because the Secret Service uh, back then, I think they changed it actually recently, but it used to be run out of the Treasury Department, uh, not the Department of Justice. So it's an IRS building. So I go in this building and um, I go up to – and everybody in there is actually there for IRS questions. You could get tax forms. You could do all kinds of stuff, right? So I wait in line and I say who I am. And they said, oh, okay, would you just go over what I'm there for? And they said, would you just go uh, take a seat? So I do take a seat, and I'm not kidding. Uh, there is a guy, just like in the movies, reading the newspaper right by the front door, someone else reading a newspaper across from me, and then two or three people who are just staring at me the whole time. And I'm just sitting there waiting. I waited 15 or 20 minutes, and I'm noticing this. And, of course, my brain is you know playing games with me. I'm like, is this for real? Is this – are these really you – know, this is like Clint Eastwood movie or something – and what's happening? And am I in trouble? Am I in some kind of trouble because I have this? And I'm thinking, well, maybe I found a badge that's really old and somebody else had been using it to do bad things and impersonating a Secret Service agent. And I thought, man, I could be in a lot of trouble here. And I, I was I don't really didn't realize it. Well, eventually this woman comes out who was significantly taller than me. I don't remember if she was wearing heels or whatever, but she was she was very tall. She was super kind. But I watched her eyes go kind of up and down my entire body, you know, head to toe and back. And I thought she knows how much I weigh, the color of my eyes. Like I felt like this person has completely uh, sketched me out. She introduces herself and she says, I understand you found a badge. I said, yes. And I handed it to her and it felt like this was something very official. And uh, she asked me a couple of questions and then she thanked me and that was it. And I'm not kidding. She turned around and walked away, and the guy at the front door with the newspaper folded his newspaper and walked in the back. The guy across from the way with his newspaper folded it up and walked in the back. The other people staring at me stopped staring, and it was over, and I left. I walked right out. And, you know, I was kind of nervous after that. It was sort of cool, but I was also kind of nervous for a while. And a couple of days later, that agent called me at work where I worked, and um, she apologized and thanked me for bringing back the wallet and asked me if I wanted some kind of reward for it. I said no. 
I wanted to ask you, are you going to lose your job? Because that's probably a big deal, I'm thinking, to lose your uh, Secret Service license. And they, she said, no, I didn't ask her that, but I, I don't think she lost her job. I do think she was forced to apologize to me. Anyway, I worked with the Secret Service on several things because I used to do presidential campaigns. I got to drive in a motorcade. I got to do a lot of stuff. It's a great organization. And I hope that whatever is true related to the cocaine in the White House, that it's not somehow covering up a crime or something serious. You know, that we also saw on Capitol Hill uh, recently, last couple of days, the director of the FBI getting questioned about a lot of stuff. In fact, when we come back in a couple of minutes, I got a couple of clips for interesting things he said that I thought were also positive in the midst of other things that people have questions about. But, you know, we want our law enforcement to be professionals through and through. And I felt like that experience was professional. When I was working with the Secret Service on a motorcade and other stuff, it was very professional. They sent me to a class. I went to a class for two hours about driving in a motorcade. And really, I didn't need two hours. What I really needed was 10 seconds. All they should have said is do whatever the guy with the Uzi next to you tells you to do. And that would have been enough. But uh, it was all a, a very good experience. I did get somebody in trouble because after the president left, I walked up to the presidential limousine from behind, and the driver was still sitting there. And I put my hand underneath the the uh, wheel well because I wanted to feel what the armor was like. And right as I did that, he honked the horn at me, and he gives me, you know, puts his arms up in the air like, what are you doing? And I turn around, and the guy who was in charge of this unit, he's just shaking his head, and he goes, I don't know why you thought you had the nerve to walk up to that vehicle, but worse than that, I don't know why he let you get all the way up to that vehicle. <laughs> And I think somebody got in some trouble. Anyway, I thought it was a professional organization, great organization. Uh, and I did uh, several years ago. I was in college uh, and did a bunch of stuff. And uh, it was very fun. I'm hoping that's not the case here. And, you know, with the seriousness of it, I guess I hope it is Hunter Biden's if it has to be somebody because then it's somebody we know and not somebody else. Uh, we don't need somebody else with that kind of a problem. Like if you're sneaking it into the White House, you have a problem. Right. This isn't a one time thing. This isn't something you just decided, you know, in the spur of the moment, like if you go to Walmart and you decide you're going to steal a candy bar for some reason. This is a person who's like, I'm willing to risk going to prison. I'm willing to risk maybe even getting shot or getting interrogated, all this stuff by sneaking this into the most secure office in the world. It's another way we need to pray for our country. There's just a breakdown of so many things in law enforcement, a breakdown of society. In fact, you know, I'm I'm curious to how far we're going to go to even sort of demand what's happening here. Are there drug tests? You know, is, you know, what's the response? If this happened at your business, I'll bet everybody gets a drug test. I'll bet that's true here. I bet every person in the building would have a drug test if uh, cocaine was found somewhere in the building. Am I right, Wilbert? Rodney said yes. Right. Okay. Yeah. All right. I'm looking at, uh, you know, the bosses are, are shaking their head. Of course. Of course that would happen. Uh, I'm, I'm hoping that's the case. Maybe that's happening. It's not, I guess, anybody's business, but it's, it's kind of our business, right? This is the people's house, and uh, I think we have a right to know what's up with that. All right, when we come back, uh, we'll take your calls, 888-528-2557. Director of the FBI, Ray, Christopher Ray, testified to a couple of things, multiple issues, but there are a couple that I thought were actually – a little more positive, and I thought I would share those when we come back as the Thursday edition of the Pastor Scott Show continues. Stay tuned. You're listening to the Pastor Scott Show podcast. Have any questions or comments? Email Pastor Scott now at pastorscott at kkla.com or tune in live weekdays from 3 to 5 p.m. Now, back to the show. 
Welcome back, everybody. Pastor Scott Show. Good to be with you today. 888-528-2557. 888-528-2557. John in Playa Vista, welcome to the Pastor Scott Show. Hi, John. Are you talking to me, Don? Uh, John. I've got John. Are you Don? I'm Don, yeah. Oh, hi, Don. Go am ahead. I, am, I in line? am I in there? You okay. are. Go you know, ahead, Don. Look, I, this, this cocaine thing is a wash. I mean, it's just a hearsay. What, just, uh, what do you mean it's a hearsay? What evidence is there that you know who put cocaine in the White House, if anyone? Well, we know that somebody did. I don't know who. How do you know that? What's the story? I haven't even heard about this. Oh, my gosh, this has been a huge story. If you Google it, the White House has responded to it. The Secret Service put out their investigation today. This, oh, it's definitely it's, happened, uh, but nobody... There's, there's, been, there's been cocaine in the White House since the 60s. But this is the, <laughs> well, I don't know, but, but John, John, check... Hey, John, check it out. Check out the news. Somebody put some uh, cocaine in the White House. It could have been a tourist. It could have been, you know, somebody from the outside, but somehow it got in there. And uh, that's bad news. That's that story. All right, 888-528-2557. There have been other accusations. People, he's right about the 60s. People said the Kennedy White House was full of stuff. The Clinton White House, they got accused of all kinds of stuff. But nobody knows, right? There's not. Willie Nelson claims that he sat on the roof with somebody and smoked a joint once in the Carter White House. Nobody knows. 888-528-2557. The FBI Director Christopher Wray has been grilled on the Capitol Hill about a lot of stuff. And, you know, I wanted to draw a couple of things. I'm listening closely. There's so many different things that people say and a lot of opinions that we don't know where they go uh, and what's right or wrong about it. But, um, you know, one of the things I think that was the most disturbing in recent times was a couple of years ago when the Department of Justice put out a memo that was – warning uh, and talking about parents who have been protesting at local school boards that they are under investigation basically for uh, terrorism, right? And that basically that they are being, you know, looked at for being violent. And the interesting thing about that is that there have been multiple protests of parents at school boards uh, all up and down the uh, the country, and I think there's more and more. There's only been one case, according to that memo, of actual violence um, that happened from a parent, and it was one guy who got uh, disorderly, and they escorted him out of the room, and he elbowed one of the security guards on the way out, and so he faced a uh, battery charge. That was the only thing that they, the Department of Justice said, and to to put that kind of scrutiny on parents and parents who aren't just left, you know, aren't just on the right. It was, it's, there are parents who are coming to the school boards to protest curriculum or protest various things in the last couple of years. Ever since the COVID, I think people saw into the classroom and they said, I don't like what's going on. Parents said that. And it's not a, uh, a partisan thing. There are some, you know, some partisan issues, but there are some, there are people left and right who are protesting here. And to just put this on, to say that the parents are doing something was pretty disturbing. Well, I was encouraged by a couple of responses because another part of it has to do with people who are uh, doing violence in different places, whether it's in protest or in other places around the country where there seemed to be an emphasis on people on the right who are doing violent acts, and they shouldn't be doing that. Nobody should be engaged in political violence ever but ignoring things that happen on the left. 
And one of those areas is in the area of abortion and things that happen in abortion clinics. And there was all this memos last year whenever Roe versus Wade was overturned that um, said that we need to be aware of right wing people and their attacks on Planned Parenthood or other things. And those things have happened in the past. They still happen. But there's been so many more actually happening from the left, which for whatever reason wasn't getting the attention. But the FBI director actually um, said this about that today. Domestic violent extremism uh, cuts across the spectrum from the racially motivated violent extremism, militia violent extremism, anarchist violent extremism, uh, environmental violent extremism, uh, and of course recently uh, we've had a lot of uh, violent extremism uh, attacks against uh, pro-life facilities, and we're investigating those. So it, it really covers a wide spectrum, and what they all have in common is three things, uh, violence or threats of violence, motivated by some ideology, and it varies, uh, in violation of federal criminal law. And that's the domestic violent extremism, violent extremism that I'm talking about when I've I- identified this phenomenon. I thought that was a better approach, a better answer. I hope that that is true as far as what actually is being investigated. And I'm I'm saying that because I think that when we get to the fall, when school starts again, which the fall means August actually in a lot of school districts around the country, including right here in Southern California in many school districts, um, which I think is a shame, right? I remember that used to be you got through Labor Day, right? Uh, School started after Labor Day, and at some point that crept into August. And uh, my kids, they start uh, like the second week of August. It's crazy. Um, I think that this year you're going to see a lot more protesting outside of school board meetings. And one of the things I've been warning about is the need to stay away from violence. Everybody should be nonviolent anyway. But also something that happens is that some groups, and this is what the Antifa groups have been doing, this is what we saw in Glendale here in North Hollywood also, is that some groups come with the intent of um, goading you into violence. So what they'll do is they'll scream curse words in your face, they'll pe- put their finger in your face and everything, but they don't touch you, see? And it's very hard to not want to knock somebody's hand out of the way when they do that. This is a tactic. It's on purpose because once you throw the punch, if you throw the first punch or the first shove or whatever it is, you're guilty of it. You now are guilty of assault. You have actually crossed the line into a violent behavior. And so a tactic for people today um, is to go and stir up violence. And if you can create it so that you didn't start it, the other side gets in trouble. And what we saw here in Glendale, which was really interesting to me, was uh, there were some punches thrown and some things happening, but it was clearly started by the Antifa group out there who goaded people. And it's not to excuse people who participate in it. But what was interesting to me is that that's not they the way it was reported in the national media because it made national news was to not report Antifa's involvement at all. Fortunately, people there are posting on their social media, and you actually could see the raw video of what happened, and you realize something that, you know what, most of these parents are, in fact, most of the counter-protesters that were happening here, most of the protesters on both sides were not violent. It's the third-party groups that were showing up to create a stir. Well, I'm getting at is I think this is going to happen more and more often. And I think for people who are really fighting for the kids who are against some of the things that are in the curriculum or people who are talking uh, who are on the anti-abortion side of things 
one of the things that you have to consider and you have to understand is that the those who are in power, those who are going to report what happens, typically are not on your side. And so when you end up crossing the line into violence, so what happens with violence is that at best both sides get blamed and then everybody turns their head away and says, shrugs their shoulders and says, well, we can't do anything about that. You know, it is vital that you show up, that you speak your mind, but that you're kind, that you don't get violent. You defend yourself if that becomes necessary, but to just be aware that if people are goading you, there is a deeper reason for that. Director Ray uh, also mentioned this, which I was encouraged by. On the abortion side, reproductive facilities, of course, I would be remiss if I didn't also point out that there has been uh, a pretty significant uptick in violence going the other way uh, mm-hmm. since the Dobb decision. And in fact, most of the investigations that we've opened uh, since the Dobb decision, probably about 70 percent of them have been violence against pro-life facilities. We recently had a, uh, a significant charge uh, in the Madison, Wisconsin area of a guy who was trying to firebomb a pro-life facility there. So it, we're, we're out there with communities across the spectrum. So at least there is a, a movement to say, hey, that we need to treat the violence that might be happening uh, from different perspectives uh, in the same way. And I was shocked that he admitted 70 percent, all right, because most of what we're seeing. And, you know, the violence is an interesting thing because violence can mean firebombing the building. It can also mean, you know, somebody got a little bit, uh, you know, in somebody's face and it wasn't really that serious, right? So it's hard to break down exactly what they mean. But 30% of the cases, according to Director Ray, I think he was estimating, but probably 30% were still uh, on the uh, pro-life or the anti-abortion side. That cannot be, my friends. Nobody should be doing it at all. But you know, if you want to make a point, you lose your point when you decide to get violent. You And you will lose it even further in a culture that is not going to report what really happened on your side, right? That was a big part of why Martin Luther King Jr. was successful in the civil rights movement is because he was a, he taught nonviolence. That he understood that if people rioted or people fought back against the police when they took out their fire hoses or if people fought back against the racists who were doing things and it was just some kind of melee or something, that the media wasn't going to report it fairly. That when people, and in this case, when uh, black people were not violent in the civil rights movement, the whole world saw the evil of the other side. They saw the evil of Jim Crow. They saw the evil uh, that was coming from those who turned the fire hoses on. And no one could ignore it at that point. And that's something to keep in mind as we get to a place where I think we're going to have to speak our mind more often in the public square because of our kids and because of some other things. It's a, it is a reminder to stay away from uh, anything that is violent. I'm not saying don't defend yourself, but don't be goaded into the violence. It's got to be part of our, our thinking. And by the way, that's what Jesus told us. It's what he meant when he said you turn the other cheek. It shows the other side to be in the wrong when you do that. It makes it impossible to ignore. And I think that's something happening. All right, when we come back, we're going to talk about the uh, that movie, Sound of Freedom. Did you see it? Love to hear what you think. 888-528-2557. This is the Pastor Scott Show Thursday edition. We'll be back as the Thursday edition continues. 